This is Food First Michigan on 760 WJR. Sponsored by the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Creating a food secure state. And by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome everyone and thanks for listening. The year was 1946 when President Harry S. Truman signed the National School Lunch Act into law. And why he did it might surprise you. President Truman was faced with the reality that many young men who were nutritionally deficient were signing up to serve in America's military. As young men began to sign up to serve their country in World War I and World War II, reality began to define itself. Young people were not getting enough food or having access to the right food. It became a national security issue. Fast forward to just a few years ago when a host of retired military leaders commissioned a report about the military readiness of America's young people found that an alarming rate of children in America were, and I quote, too fat to fight. The report cites Department of Defense data indicating that an alarming 75% of all young Americans 17 to 24 years of age are unable to join the military because they failed to graduate from high school, have criminal records, or are physically unfit primarily because of obesity. Several interventions have come about in recent years addressing the issues cited in this report. In 2010, Congress passed the Healthy Hungry Free Act and acted more rigorous nutritional standards regarding the quality of food being served in America's public schools. This legislation also brought about the Community Eligibility Act that would allow all public schools that have more than 40% of students on free and reduced meals to offer all students free meals at school. Ironically, because of ideological reasons, some schools across Michigan who qualify won't take advantage of the CEP provision. Here, is, here in Michigan, Governor Whitmer has proposed investing $160 million to support school meals for all, but it is not without its detractors. Some worried its price tag doesn't ensure more consumption, quality of the food, and in the words of Senator John Boozman from Arkansas, the minority chair of the Senate Ag Committee, it allows meals to kids who don't need the help. Nine states have passed this legislation of the Universal School Meal Program. Will Michigan be the top 10? Will Michigan pass this? I think we will, but nothing is certain until the budget is passed. Here to help us understand School Meals for All is Dr. Diane Golzinski, the Deputy Superintendent at the Michigan Department of Education and the former Director of the Food and Nutrition Division of MDE. Diane joins me and the irrepressible Jerry Brisson next as we unpack School Meals for All on this edition of Food First Michigan.
Welcome back, everyone. Dr. Phil Knight here with Jerry Brisson and our guest, as promised, Dr. Diane Golzinski, Deputy Superintendent at the Michigan Department of Education. And Diane, congratulations first on the the move up and greater responsibilities. And we should update our audience on your uh, on on your progress and development and more more responsibility and probably not that much more money. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you. (laughs) It's an exciting opportunity, that's for sure. Yeah, well, it's great. Well, we know you have served as the director for uh, health and nutrition, and uh, that's a passion for you, for sure. It's where your education, uh, you know, has been concentrated on. But but now you're in a different role, but there is a tremendous opportunity here in Michigan We've had nine other states adopt the universal or school meals for all program, and uh, that is in our governor's budget. And so um, we had a a show on this a few weeks ago, but we wanted to have you on to kind of unpack this because we think your perspective is going to be, you know, pretty clear line of sight into what this potential of the program could mean. Well, thank you. It is an incredible opportunity for the students of Michigan. We are so excited that the governor has proposed $160 million to offer healthy school meals for all kids in every public school building across the state. And yesterday we got the Senate's budget recommendation and it concurred with the governor. So today we get the House recommendation. We expect it will also concur, which means that we are very close to being able to make this happen. That's excellent. That's excellent news. Um, I th- I think that that we're pretty excited because uh, from the food bank perspective, you know, the more assets, more resources that are there for families and kids in particular to have access to food, uh, um, potentially the less it, it you know, uh, uh, lessens the need for uh, for the food banks to fill that gap, so to speak. Uh, We've been talking recently on the show about how the the charitable food network becomes the safety net to the safety net. And, you know, we'd like a little less opportunity here. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And we have seen food insecurity rising ever since the COVID pandemic. It's just incredible. With meals served for free, we could actually reduce that for children, which hopefully in turn will also reduce that for families. Unfortunately, with this current school year, Families had to go back to paying for meals, which they had not done during the two years of the pandemic. And on average, we're seeing 52,000 kids less eating breakfast every day and 73,000 less eating lunch at school than they did during the COVID pandemic. Those are really, really important numbers. I mean, 52,000 kids not eating breakfast that were able to have breakfast uh, because of the uh, funding that came through uh, during the pandemic. People recognize, look, this this is a strange situation here. There's a lot of weird things happening. Let's make sure the kids are fed. And my thing is, well, even if there's less weird things happening, we should still make sure kids are fed. I mean, that they, they don't necessarily have to go together that way, right? So 73,000 less having lunch. Now, when you think about the other 
dynamics of what's happening in these lunch lines, right? And we've talked about this before, that, you know, that families end up getting in some debt sometimes, that that can be mm-hmm. a complication for the the, the cafeteria workers who, who now are faced with um, the po- the possibility of, of, well, what do I do with a student who, through no fault of their own, um, is coming through the line and wanting a meal, and oh my gosh, they they owe money, and now we have to deal with that, right? It, it, can, it can be a terrible embarrassment for the child. It's a terrible embarrassment for the cafeteria worker. I mean, nobody likes to be put in that situation. My understanding is school districts really do struggle with the amount of debt that, that occurs as a result of families just not being able to afford the meals. Now, maybe they could have applied for uh, free and reduced meals. I don't know, you know, the dynamics of those numbers. But, but you know, there's so much to this issue of taking away stigma from the child, right? It yeah. should not fall to the child to have to figure this out in the lunch line. And I know that's, you know, it's just another thing compared to the big uh, benefit, which is the kids actually get to eat, they get to focus in school. What other what other benefits do you see happening if 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 school districts actually they have to apply, right? Maybe we should talk a minute about what does a school district have to do, if anything, to take advantage mm-hmm. of this. Sure. So this proposal, both from the governor's executive recommendation and now from the Senate requires schools to maximize the federal reimbursement, meaning if they qualify for the federal program known as community eligibility provision, which to qualify, you have to have 40% or more of your students qualifying for free or reduced price lunch. So if a school district qualifies, they must participate in CEP, and CEP allows for all children to eat for free. What the state proposal then comes in and does is piggybacks on that federal program and says, but if you don't qualify, we're going to pick up the tab for those students that you pay, that you feed for free across your district. So that gives all districts, no matter what their free and reduced pr- percentage is, the opportunity to feed all of their children for free. Now, yeah. where we wow. see there being some challenges with that is the messaging to parents because in those districts that qualify for their that federal program all children will eat for free everything looks and acts just as it would have otherwise in those districts that don't qualify for the federal program the parents still have to apply as if their children were not eating for free but yet their children are so that's going to be a communication challenge for us why do i have to fill out a free and reduced meal application if I know my child is eating for free. And it's because there's these underlying federal regulations behind all of this state legal language that goes into the budget bills that requires the schools to still classify students by category in order to get the federal reimbursement. So if this happens... Uh, which we're mm-hmm. assuming it will, based on where we are right now. So we're just gonna we're just gonna allow hope to spring eternal here and say yes. it is gonna happen. Let's say when this <laughs> happens, right? Yes. Does it take effect uh, September when the next school year starts? That's a great question, and that is still up for debate and still part of what we need to advocate for. So the governor's proposal 
would have this start at the beginning of the state fiscal year, which is October 1st, meaning children would go back to school in the fall still still paying for meals, and they would not start to become free until October 1st if it follows the governor's language. The Senate included the funding in a supplemental, a concurrent supplemental, which would mean the meals could start for free immediately in the new school year. So we'll have to wait and see what the final budget language looks like to see which one of those we'll be following. But we're really hopeful that we can, what we can get across the finish line is the ability to start this with the new school year. So what would be easier for schools? Literally to implement the new school year. It makes sense, right? So, so (laughs) again, you know, while while we like to make things about money, in truth, there's always a lot more that that you have to think about, and we really do want to make this easier for schools, right? If the administration knows it starts at the beginning of the school year, and then they don't have to change their message three weeks in, because you know, at the beginning of the school year, schools have almost nothing to do, right? Right, they're just sitting around watching the kids come in. <laughs> so we'd like to make this easier for schools, yes. easier for families, get one really good message to people that they only have to hear uh, one time. Well, they'll hear it several times, but they only have to implement it once, and then it works and everything is good. That makes a lot of sense to me. Yes, and and we really hope and believe that we can get that message across the finish line. Hey, guys, let's take a quick break here. And Diane, Dr. Diane Gozinski, Deputy Superintendent at the Michigan Department of Education, is our guest. Diane, I have a question about this CEP. And will every school district, the way the, the, the this is written, I, I have some questions about that. So let's pick that up on the other side of okay. the break. Uh, this is Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. And we're with Dr. Diane Gozinski. And we're all three back with you in just a moment. Contact the Food Bank Council of Michigan at fbcmich.org. Now back to more Food First Michigan with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. We're back with you. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Dr. Phil Knight here with Jerry Brisson. We're in our WJR studio. Whether you're listening to this on the airwaves or through the podcast, thank you for listening. Our guest today is Dr. Diane Kulzinski. She is our colleague, our friend, and working with us on this great mission of creating a food secure state. So, Diane, thank you for taking the time to be with us and we're talking about school meals for all and I have a very quick question for you, probably not a quick answer, but it's a quick question and that is in the CEP, which is the Community Eligibility Provision, you, I think you shared that 40%, if the, if the population of the school is 40% free and reduced, then every child is eligible for free school meals for all. Will every district in Michigan that meets that qualification take advantage of this program, or has the way the governor's written this, it would require them to? Great question. So the way that it is written is an incentive. If the school district would like to provide all meals for free, and the district qualifies for the community eligibility provision, then they can participate in the federal program 
and the state program will make up any difference in reimbursement that that district would not have received Hmm. under the federal program. If the district doesn't qualify but wants to still provide all meals for free, they can still do that under the state program. So this is the state program is really filling in the gaps of where the federal program can't and does not go for assuring that our children are able to eat at school. So just a quick follow-up then. Are there school districts that, in spite of the incentive, more or less because of ideological reasons, will choose not to engage in the program? That's another great question. Yes, it is very possible that a school district may choose that. Um, I don't know at this time how many or if public pressure would be enough to change their mind, but that is a possibility. There is no requirement in either the governor or the Senate's language that requires uh, schools to offer meals for free. What is in state law is that public schools must offer lunch, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't say that you have to offer free lunch. Mm -hmm. So let me last follow up on this. Mm -hmm. In your experience of leading this work across Michigan now, do you think any of those kids who are eligible for lunch under any of these programs gives a rip about somebody's ideological beliefs when they're hungry at school? Not one bit, (laughs) which is why I'm hoping public pressure would force them to do it even if they were choosing not to. You know, we have we get so tied up around uh, what what might be considered entitlements, right? We get so yes. wrapped around it and and uh, and of course, you know, some of that comes from a good place where people want to make sure that systems are right and efficient and fair and working the way they're supposed to. Um, and so, you know, I I'm very respectful of of why people have concerns. At the same time, when you learn what kids go through in school and how helpful it is for for every kid to have a meal in school uh, or two meals in school, um, you know, you, you, it's easy to get past uh, objections that are more theoretical in nature, right? Because yeah. you're with the kids yeah. and you see them and you see how much it helps, you know, p- the kids focus and learn and stay calm in the classroom. And, and that reduces the stress on teachers and it just uplifts the whole environment, right? So so again, we, we've we seen it, you know, obviously we appreciate these, these efforts from a food banking perspective as well because, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in it's feeding people today does so much more than just um, manage today's issues. We know it has a long-term impact. The more we work together between the food banks and the government assistance to make sure people have enough uh, nutritious food to eat, the better off our community is in literally hundreds of ways, right? Absolutely. So, So we are so for uh, things like this that really take the onus off of children, you know, Children should go to school, get what they Mm -hmm. need to eat, and not have to worry about it. It should be a stress-free food environment. And, I I mean, so your leadership here is so important. Uh, We're we're so grateful that you're you're moving this forward and have gotten it so far. Thank you. It's been an exciting opportunity for us. And 
for as difficult as COVID was, I think it really gave us an opportunity to stop and reflect that maybe the status quo of what we had been doing for years around meals in school wasn't necessarily the right thing to do. And the right thing to do is when we insist that kids go to school and they are in this school building for a certain number of hours, that we take care of their physiological needs while they are there because they are not in a position to find the food for themselves, pay for the food for themselves, make sure that it's there so that they have something to eat. They're not even in control of how much time they have to eat. Right. So as the adults who are in control, the worst thing that we can do is to ignore that need of a child to be able to eat and yet still expect them to perform at all the highest levels, control their emotions, have the best mental health, be a good friend, do all of those things that we, we require, but it would be like asking them to stay up all night and still be able to do that. Yeah, right. It's, exactly right. So It's, it's really a shame. So, uh, Dr. Gozinski, I'm I'm going to be the devil's advocate, and I know that's a shocker for everybody who's listening to this show here. <laughs> Senator John Boozman from Arkansas, the ranking member on the Senate Ag Committee that, of course, Chairwoman uh, Stabenow is, is the leader of, uh, has made a comment about school meals for all program, and his objection to that is that there will be some kids who don't need this assistance— who will be getting the food for free. And so as a person who has done this work, has led this work, um, has waited, I would say, anxiously in hope for this day when this budget is finalized and the money is appropriated for this program, if you had the opportunity to speak to Senator um, Bozeman today, what would you say to him and his objection? Honestly, the last time I checked, a five-year-old doesn't have a choice as to what their family income looks like. But what they do have a choice about is whether or not they eat at school when the food is provided. And when the food is provided in an equitable way, meaning every child, no matter what things look like at home, when they have an opportunity, an equal opportunity to choose food at school, they do. And that food is then proven to be healthier and better for that child for a lifelong lesson about what healthy diet looks like. So we're not only providing this opportunity for everyone to be on the same playing field when they are at school, but we're teaching them what lifelong healthy eating looks like so that we have a healthier, more educated, better population down the road. And What we've seen with these meals, and even through offering the free meals through the COVID pandemic, the children whose families have more means and have the ability to pay for the meals would still choose to eat with their friends at school. So it allows for more opportunity for every child to be a part of the same thing when everyone's offered the same opportunity to eat. It's really a shame when food is our driver for deciding how the worth of a person. Hmm. Excellent answer. And uh, we're going to cut this 
part out and send it to our colleagues in Arkansas <laughs> <laughs> and have them play this loud and clear. Thank you, Diane. If you have a minute, we'd like for you to stay with us and do a third segment on this very important issue of school meals for all. She is Dr. Diane Gozinski. She is the Deputy Superintendent for Finance and Operation at the Michigan Department of Education. And she has been a leader in this uh, school health and nutrition space for some years. She's our guest today. That's Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. We're going to come back and have another session here with Dr. Gozinski. You come back to Michigan. Once again, here's Phil and Jerry. Thanks for being with us, everyone. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight, or with our guest, Dr. Diane Gozinski, who is the Deputy Superintendent for Finance and Operations at Michigan's Department of Education. And in midst of all that, Jerry, there is school meals that is under Diane's auspices and her leadership. And thank God for that. Thank God for that. That's right. A great champion we really appreciate. You know, my wife has a coffee cup that she uses every morning, and it all it says on it is, be a good human. That's what the coffee cup says. Now, why she points that at me every morning is something I have yet to figure <laughs> I can, out. But... I can help you with that. <laughs> but in any case, you know, so much of what we're talking about right now is, is what it means to be a good human. You know, um, it's, it, it is important for us to be fiscally responsible and make sure that we spend every dollar wisely. And so we want to do that. I will say that investing in our children ultimately is one of the wisest things we can do. And while I, I understand that it is an increase, uh, relative to the whole state budget is a modest increase. And the potential benefit that, again, Dr. Golzinski, you have made so clear in your remarks, um, to have the kids come to school, not have to worry about this, take that whole issue off the table. They can spend time with their friends. They can spend time focusing on the things they need to focus on in the classroom and not really ever have to worry about what is going to happen in the lunch line. I think that is a really important investment for us to make right now. And there's other benefits too. And we were talking off air a little bit about some of those. And so why don't you, why don't you continue on with why this is so smart? I'd be happy to. You know, it's, it's really easy to look at a $160 million line item and say, we can't afford that. We can't afford that as a state. That's not an investment we should make. But the reality is we need to stop and think that this isn't just an investment in the students and their families who are in schools. While the students and families are going to benefit from this, so will the districts that those kids attend. So will the staff and the communities of those districts. More meals at school means more opportunities for Michigan farmers, for Michigan's food producers, and all those related product manufacturers that sell their foods and related products to schools. More meals served means more jobs and more hours available at those jobs. I just heard yesterday that Detroit Public School is increasing the wage and the number of hours for all of their food service workers, and they hire hundreds of food service workers. We know that more meals served means that there's less drain on the school district's general fund, which means the general fund can be used for its intended purpose 
for educating our kids and assuring that they have the very best future possible, which is our job as the adults who are here to take care of those kids, to assure that everyone has the best future. And I will say this, too, just to add to this, uh, you know, in at, in the food banks, we've seen more people in the last few months. I mean, so, some because other benefits have been decreased. Uh, those benefits were related to the pandemic. And with the official end of the pandemic, uh, those benefits have gone away. And that's particularly the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, SNAP. In Michigan, we call it the Bridge Card uh, or EBT. Uh, but that decreased significantly for families. And so we see more people, right? Now they've got to mm-hmm. come to us to get help because, uh, you know, they, they, they don't have all of the food resources that they need. So, again, reminding our listeners that all of these things are interconnected for people, that, the, that more meals in school will help us manage the increases that we're seeing as other benefits decrease. And uh, and we all have a role to play, and one of the roles we can play right now is supporting this initiative in any way we can for uh, meals and schools for all the kids. That's wonderful. We would love to see everyone let their voice be heard and how they feel about this particular piece of legislation. Well, Diane, we're excited about the possibility and the potential impact for this uh, School Meals for All program. Um, We've dedicated a couple of shows here on Food First Michigan to this because we do believe in it. And for our listeners, I think it's simply to say, to send an email, to to pick up the phone. Uh, If you happen to be more intimately involved with your legislator and you know their text number, uh, communicate to them ever how you can to say, we support school meals for all. One of the principles we have here at Food First Michigan is we know we have to help people where they're at, not where we wish they were. We wish no kid had this issue. We wish no family had a household income issue. But the fact of the matter is they do. And this will help ensure that kids have access to the food that they uh, want and need and thereby can excel in the areas of academics. And, and, and until recently, you know, we've had a third grade reading law by third grade. And, and as you know, we say all the time that if they're not well fed, they'll never be well read. So this all has an interconnectedness to what we want to see happen. And then I think employers and business owners should support it because in a few years' time, these will be the kids that you're trying to hire at your business. And if they had the opportunity to learn and grow and their minds have been fed, but their bodies have been fed so that their minds can grow and learn, you're going to get a better person, a better candidate for the job at your business. So we're pretty excited about all of this, and we thank you once again for your leadership in it. Thank you for having me on the show, and thank you for your continued support of this work. She's Dr. Diane Gozinski. She is the Deputy Superintendent at the Michigan Department of Education, and she's been our guest today. Jerry and I will be right back in just a moment to wrap up this edition of Food First Michigan.
back, everyone. Here to wrap up this show, Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight. That was Dr. Diane Gozinski as our guest. And, of course, our topic, uh, once again, has been school meals for all. I feel pretty good about the show, Jerry, that we've embraced this, we've analyzed it, and we pretty much have come out with a recommendation that it's going to do a lot of good. It's going to do a lot of good. And, and, uh, and you know, this, this issue of what happens to kids in school when, uh, when they got to go through the lunch line and they owe money. I mean, we've talked about this before. It's a painful issue. Uh, painful enough that we're talking about actually starting a little contest here on the show where, uh, you know, you hear sometimes guests say, good question, right? So in the background, uh, Dr. Phil and I have a little board where we mark who gets the most of those, right? Who gets good question the most? And it's kind of just a little fun thing that we do to tease each other. But we're actually thinking about, you know, maybe we turn that into something like whoever uh, whoever has the most of those or the least, we still haven't decided, actually commits to paying off one student's debt uh, in the lunch line so that at least one student at a time we can make a difference on this issue. And while that may not sound like a lot, I will tell you we are so committed to the idea that kids should not have to worry about this in school that we're talking about how do we do that? And maybe that's something that we could have a little fun with, but also continue to make the point that it is not right for kids to have to manage that kind of pressure in the lunch line at school. Yeah, it's not their responsibility. And, you know, uh, again, we talk about how the interconnected of this issue highlights other parts of the problem. And, you know, again, one of your favorite sayings, the less you know about a problem, the easier it is to solve. Yeah, right. And when, even when you're just talking about school lunch debt or, or school meals for all and the price tag and how that impacts other parts of the child's life, other parts of the community, other parts of the family, it really is uh, important for us to to look at this from all sides. You know, and again, I, I talked about Senator Boozman's, um, you know, uh, comments that there's not every kid out there that's going to need this. So we that's the reason not to do it. You know, and probably the administrative burden of figuring out which kids don't need it and which kids do is the entire logic premise behind community eligibility provision. That if you're at 40% of free and reduced in your school district, just go ahead and give it to everybody. It's, 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 you'll save money by going ahead and making people sure kids have access to food, then it will time you'll pay a professional to sort out the math on who's eligible and who isn't. And I think that that's, that's just the smart way to do this business. Yeah, well, I mean, we believe in efficiency in food banking, that's for sure. And sometimes efficiency pays for a lot of other things. So, you know, kids come and go from different districts, families move, all kinds of things happen. And now you got to go through that process over and over of, okay, now what are the numbers? Now what are the numbers? What, you know, what is the reimbursement going to be? What does that mean for your, for your cafeteria budget? All those things are happening, right? So there are lots of reasons, efficiency reasons why this makes sense, but, but really, uh, we love the children of the state of Michigan. That's the fundamental message. Be a good human. Be a good human. And and what is that saying that happens around here quite a bit? There's two words. That should never go together. Child and hunger. Absolutely. And I don't think that's a saying. I think that's a value. Yep. And sure. values are non-negotiable. That's right. 
Time for a little food for thought. Currently, families that are below 185% of the federal poverty measure are eligible to have their school meals paid for. Families that are between 130 and 185% of the federal poverty measure pay a reduced price. So what does this mean, 185, 130%? This means a family of four that has a household income of $36,000 or less are ineligible for free or reduced lunch. Let me say that again, $36,000 for four people. So, stop. Pay it. Just do it. Pass this bill. Move on to something that requires more thoughtfulness to solve than this, because this is a no-brainer. You're going to help far more kids who need access to this food by making it universal than you will by keeping it from the people who could pay for it. We have bigger problems to solve than this, Is it a perfect solution? No. Does it have to be perfect? No. Will it help kids who really need it? Yes. And you will be helping them to become who and what they could be by making sure they have access to the food they want and need. And that is the value behind Food First, folks. Food First. First Michigan, presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food secure state.